Welcome down to my nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. You are listening to Bucks in the Basement. My name's Chris, and Craig here is the biggest Pirates fan you'll ever meet. Let's talk Pirates baseball now. Welcome to Bucks in the Basement. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing, but then the next day. Homemade Oak Bar, pour yourself a cold one. My name is Chris, he's Craig. Bucks in the basement, 30 minutes of Pirates talk for fans, by fans, and my friend, I am just happy to be back after a flight. I gotta say several flights to Wichita and several flights back because there is no such thing as a direct flight to Wichita, Kansas because nobody wants to go to Wichita, Kansas, Craig. Nobody at all. What's that song by uh, Counting Crows from back in the day? Like uh, somewhere in Omaha, yeah, somewhere in Middle America or something. Right. You're like, uh, yeah, it's a cool song, but nobody actually wants to go to any of those places. If you remember the band Soul Coughing, the lead singer now does some solo stuff and he sings a song about Wichita as well. And it's sad and it's brooding and I completely understand because there is nothing out there. Just to give you an idea, my last flight, I had to go into St. Louis as the last stage to get to Wichita. It was 40 people on a 737 on the way there and maybe 45 on the way back. I got my own row. Uh, It's an hour-long flight, and they served me drinks multiple times because they had nothing to do on the plane because there was nobody there. It was one of those planes where I got on, and I was like, oh, these are the planes that crash. These are the ones that crash, and then they go, (laughs) well, there were only 45 on it, and people go, well, that's not so bad, and they just move on with their life. Like It doesn't even trend for more than like 15 minutes on Twitter because there were only 35, 40 people on it. That's what I felt the entire time I was in the air. Oh, my God. It was brutal. That's that's terrifying. Yeah. We bounced on the runway when we came into Wichita, and I was like, nobody's going to miss me. That's exactly what I felt right then and there. (laughs) I was like, I'm I'm just on that plane that lost 40 people. We won't even get an air disasters episode on, like, the Discovery Channel. Like, we're not even getting that. Okay? That's that's how few people were on that plane. Uh, The the Pirates have their first win of the season. Uh, Some interesting lineups. Can we talk about that first? Do you mind? I know we're going to talk about the Cabrian Hayes extension and everything else, but... What is going on at the top of the lineup? Like, I, I, you got Brian Reynolds is essentially up at the top of the lineup. You got Cabrian Hayes sitting there in the three spot for two days. He led off on the third day of the season. But you got them up there. You got Satsugo up there. And then, for some reason, Vogelbeck seems to be like a leadoff hitter in the DH spot. And then everything else after that is like this interchangeable whatever Derek Shelton decides when he throws a dart at the dartboard. I mean, look at your number five hitters for the for the first three days. We're talking about Newman, who's terrible with the stick, okay? We're, we're talking about our, our new acquisition, Van Meter, and then we've got uh, Diego Castillo, who finally gets into the third game of the season. I thought this guy was starting at second base, Craig. Yeah, Chris. I mean, it's just been very weird because, as we saw, like, Vogelback was, was leading off throughout spring training, and the reasoning behind that, I thought, was to get him, like, the most amount of bats as possible, to get him up to speed, I know he's a guy that is very patient at the plate, you know, takes some walks and can, you know, get on base. But we saw it uh, in, I think it was the second game where basically like he gets on, on 
a, a goofy infield hit, which watching that man run out an infield hit was like one of the funniest things I've ever seen. But then it takes like another hit, another hit, a, a sack fly. So it's like not only like Vogelback gets up, he gets on base, but he then he's like clogging the base pass. So it's like, yeah, great. He can get on base. But then after that, it, it didn't really seem that there's a point. And with Cabrian Hayes, the weird part to me is, like, you want to give, and we'll get to the extension. If, if this guy's going to be part of your team and you want Brian Reynolds to be part of your team, then you kind of get them set in their spots in the lineup and you get those guys comfortable in their spots in the lineup. You don't move Cabrian Hayes like, you know, okay, you're going to lead off one day, you're going to be second, another day, you're going to be third, another day. No, you're going to put him in a spot. It's weird. Kevin Newman batting fifth. Kevin Newman should never bat fifth. Uh, Josh Van Meter should never bat fifth in your lineup. If he's batting fifth in your lineup, then then there's something wrong. But then, like, today's lineup was set, and I think Gamble was going to lead off, which he's done before. But the rest of the time, Gamble's sitting down towards the bottom of the lineup, and I don't know if they're thinking about, hey, if we can turn this over, uh, we can get back to, to know Vogelback and whoever. But, yeah, it's it, Shelton's lineups notoriously have been bad and these these ones so far have just been very questionable let me ask you a stupid question okay because this this could be just a dumb question this could be an idiot fan sitting at his bar doing a podcast kind of question but just like american league managers can't figure out how to do lineups because they have to all of a sudden deal with the pitcher or people get too cute like joe madden right that, that guy loves to put the pitcher in like the eighth spot sometimes because he's trying to show that he can outthink people as a manager. You know, now with the Angels, so he doesn't have to do that, but he does all kinds of weird things with his 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 lineup. Is that what's going on here, that Shelton doesn't know what to do with the DH? Because Vogelbeck is not a speed demon, and it doesn't make it, I mean, him at the top of the lineup reminds me of the early days of sabermetrics. When people figured out what Billy Bean was doing, and then said, oh, we'll just put a big slow guy up there with a high on base percentage. But that, Vogelbeck isn't that even that great at that. So I don't understand that at all. Yeah, and Chris, it's really weird to me because Derek Shelton, who you know spent his entire career um, in the American League, American League hitting coach, and people were talking about when he came over here, if it would be weird for him to adjust uh, to, you know, being a National League manager and having to deal with the pitcher, and they thought he would be more comfortable with somebody who would have to set up lineup in this way. And, and it sure as heck doesn't look that way because, I mean, they had Glenn Sherlock for the past two years kind to, you know, kind of trying to mold him into a, a National League manager. But now the, the rules are the same across the board. And it's almost like Shelton forgot all of his, like, time in, in the American League and how to set a lineup with a DH. Uh, it's just a real goofy situation. And I, I think we are talking about before the show, like having a different guy at second base every day, uh, keeping Cole Tucker in right field, which I was saying that, you know, Cole Tucker could be out there if if that was like your fourth outfielder, but he shouldn't be like your, your everyday right fielder. There was a ball hit when he was in right field, Chris, a lot of people probably saw this. It was a home run. But the one thing you a lot of people didn't notice was like at the bottom of the screen was Cole Tucker going back and just running his shoulder into the wall because he didn't even know where he was at, like on the field. Like the ball was 10 to 15, maybe 20 feet gone. 
And most guys, you know, they can just like turn around, look up, and it's like, yeah, I know where I'm at. It's gone. The dude like ran into the outfield, like the wall, like full speed. So I don't know. It's almost like you said, I, I think that maybe Shelton is like, he's kind of like Ben Sherrington. Because like with the Josh Van Meter pickup, I, I feel like sometimes that that Ben Charrington is trying to show like how smart he is with these types of pickups. And it's almost like Shelton's like trying to show like how how like ingenious he is, like you talked about with the saber metrics and and where guys hit that it's just real goofy as as to how the lineup looks, man. It just looks it looks real bad. Well, the other thing that really bothers me with the lineup, and I, you know, look, this team is not going anywhere this year. They're not going to win a championship. They're they're not making the playoffs. We all know that we're in the middle of a rebuild. But the problem that I have with the lineup is the inconsistencies. You you are rotating guys in and out on a day to day basis, and spring training should have told you who your regulars were. Because you're not going to learn anything new about these guys if they're playing one day and they're off two. Hoy Park's in, then he's out for two days. Castillo gets in on the third game. You know, there, there are guys that, that, are, that are not, you don't have a lot of consistency in your lineup. And I hope that that was more of a, let's just get everybody in the first weekend like a start. But at some point, it should be pretty regular. Because if you're developing players, they need at-bats. They need to be able to play on an everyday basis. If you're in and out, in and out, moving up and down the lineup, you don't get any consistency and you're damn well not going to get any better. You're not going to improve under that kind of a system. You're not going to see a guy take another step if he's not playing every day. So either you've decided, I've got nothing here. And then at that point, what? I, I don't, I mean, pick a couple guys you want to see what they're going to do for three weeks and play them for three straight weeks. If they suck after three weeks, then put them on the bench and bring up somebody else. That makes more sense to me than the constant rotation, basically from the five spot down to the nine, where you have no idea what's going to be in there on a given day. At least that's how it looked in the opening series. Maybe that changes. But I mean, like, guys need consistency. Young players need consistency. And those that are trying to improve need consistency. This almost looks like a team that's so stacked. Like, this is what you would do if you had a team that was super stacked and you want to keep everybody healthy for the postseason and you had, like, a rotation going with all these guys and you had so many good players, you don't want some of the good bats that are coming off your bench to get cold. But that's not what the Pirates are. They're a developing team. And a developing team, you just need to get the guys that you think are going to become something as many ABs as possible. Yeah, and that's where it kind of comes into uh, the Josh Van Meter thing. I hate to keep on going back to that. You hate that move. Tell me why you hate that move. But here's the thing. But before I get into that, the thing I want to say is it's almost like Shelton can't adjust. We talked about this for the past two years, Chris, and we talked about this again the show uh, at, before the show as to how Shelton and you know Donnie Kelly would sit there and set the lineups for like the next seven to ten days and then, like, not move off of them. Instead of, like, if a guy is starting to hit, to try to see if you can keep that streak going. Or, you know, like you said, getting guys regular at-bats. And I do hate that Josh Van Meter move because it makes absolutely no sense to me. After Greg Allen got injured and they picked up Jake Marisnik, that is, that's a type of move that you need to make. Other than Brian Reynolds and Ben Gamble, you had no other, like, full-time outfielders on your opening day roster. Like, you were going to have nobody who was technically a regular outfielder. But 
they go out and get Josh Van Meter, who is technically, I mean, he came up through the system as a, as a middle infielder, like a second baseman. He has played some outfield, but it's it fits into the same mold of like a Cole Tucker. It's like Cole Tucker came up as a middle infielder, actually played fairly well at second base when he got the shot at the end of the season. And then you move him and make him what's, what looks to be almost like your regular day right fielder. Now, I know Mariznick is, you know, just new to the team, but the guy's a professional. He's been around for a while. You throw him into the lineup, you throw him in right field, you're going to get decent defense, and hopefully his bat plays better than it did last year. But Van Meter, it makes absolutely no sense because you have Hoy Park that can do what, what he does. You have Cole Tucker who can do what he does. You started giving Diego Castillo outfield reps towards the end of spring training. That is exactly what, you know, Van Meter can do. You have, I mean, you have Rodolfo Castro down in the minors. You have just Michael Chavis, who had played some outfield and could play some second base. Like, you have all these guys. Ono Cruz, who's getting some reps in the outfield. All of these guys who can do the exact same thing that Josh Van Meter can do. And that is, you know, negative one, negative point one war over like, I think it's like over 650 plate appearances in Major League Baseball, Josh Van Meter, and you go and you get him, and you're putting him out there, you know, on a fairly regular basis. I just don't get it, man. Yeah, here's my, again, you have to have some communication between the front office and the manager. If you're going to have a front office like, like Charrington has right now, where he did it all last year, you bring a guy in off the scrap heap, you want to see what he can do. If he sucks, you let go of him in a month or so. You pick somebody else off, off the scrap heap. I never had a problem with that because maybe you strike gold. I mean, you're mining like crazy, and 99 of them aren't going to work out, but that 100th guy might be something that you're like, hey, we got something. We can afford to do that. But then once he's on the team, you got to play the guy all the time, right? And and Or, or, or the guy's just a regular bench filler until somebody who you're bringing up from AAA because you have a higher prospect, that's all they are as a bench filler. But the idea that it's like, you're on, you're off, you're here for two days, you're sitting for three, if you get hot, it doesn't matter because I wrote the lineup up two weeks ago and I don't like to change it. That is not conducive to development in my mind. Because if a guy gets hot and he's finally figuring something out, you want him to keep building on it. If, if you have a player that you want to see develop and take another step, he needs regular at-bats. I think that's a proven thing throughout all of baseball the way I see things going in the first couple days, I don't get. Like I said, maybe it's because first series, I want everybody to play. Like they're all getting their two innings and one at bat like it's a little league. Okay, fine. But at some point, a fairly consistent lineup should be out every day, not only for the betterment of those that are trying to improve and develop that you're hoping will take the next step, but for the betterment of the guys that you care about, like Brian Reynolds. And the guy you just signed to a huge extension. Don't mess with him. Let him keep getting better. Get consistent at bats. Stay healthy. Take a few of the, the question marks out of his head. I mean, seriously, he shouldn't be moving anywhere. Pick a spot in the lineup you like him and keep him there. Moving him up the leadoff for a game. What, what are we doing here? Is he a leadoff hitter or is he not? Make a decision on that and then let him figure it out. Because he still hasn't played like the equivalent of a full season yet, has he? I mean, is Cabrian, I mean, Cabrian Hayes played the shortened 2020 season and dealt with injuries all in 2021. Give him a roll. It's like the Mitch Keller thing. He's up, he's down, he's up, he's down. You know what? They, they play sometimes with these lineups like they're playing with a fantasy baseball lineup. 
It doesn't work that way. So, yeah, I mean, I have questions about that. It doesn't make any sense to me. Let's talk about Cabrian Hayes and the extension. Great deal, I think, as long as he turns out to be what you think he can be. Yeah, I mean, and the way that they structured it, Chris, and everybody's been talking about this, so it's, I mean, it's, it's not groundbreaking news, but the way they structured it, where they given him, you know, ten million this year, ten million next year, then going down to seven million for the next four years after that, then down to eight million, uh, twelve million dollar club option, six million dollar buyout for for that final year, which would take him through what I believe is it would be his thirty three year old season. But the, the way they kind of like they realized that you know our payroll is so low at this point in time that you know we can you know give him a little bit more up front and then once hopefully the team is starting to compete and you're maybe signing some more guys hopefully being bringing in even if it's a couple you know free agents and and adding some more payroll uh then cabrian hayes's number would go down so i mean the way that they did this w- was very nice i know a lot of i only saw a couple of course, there's going to be some naysayers, Chris. There was one person that says, you know, what has he done to earn this? And my only comment to that person and my comment on that type of thing in general is at some point in time, you have to take at least some sort of a risk or a calculated risk on what you believe a player can be. And hopefully you do this with a couple guys and it pays off. We talked about this where they did it with McCutcheon. They did it with Polanco. McCutcheon, it paid off. Polanco, it didn't. They did it with Marte. They did it with Jose Tabata. With Marte, it paid off. With Tabata, it didn't. So, I mean, I Brian Hayes has the pedigree. And especially when you just, you know, look at his glove and look at some of the plays he's made. I mean, of course, <laughs> he got injured like, in the first inning of, of the first game. And I texted you. And I'm, I, I don't even know what I said. It's probably not... not not safe for these airwaves is probably probably what I texted to you. But if he stays healthy, I, I, we've always said that it's at least like probably two, three, maybe even, it, it, even up to possibly like 3.5, 4 war just on his glove alone if he's like a league average hitter. So if you're paying that type of money, like this contract is is the largest in in Pirates history, like which is... is really really freaking sad it's the largest extension you know in pirates history but it's legitimately not a ton of money no i think i think in perspective with the rest of baseball there are a lot of teams that would love to have cabrian hayes on that deal because after the 2022 and 2023 seasons where he's making 10 million dollars seven million a year for the next four and eight million for the next two and then you have the what was the last one like a buyout year? They 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 could they could not pay him twelve million if I'm not mistaken, right? I, I can't remember it off the top. Yeah, of my it's, head. It's, yeah, it's, it's a twelve. Yeah, it was a twelve million dollar team uh, club option, uh, six million dollar buyout. So he's guaranteed right. seventy million with the possibility of making uh, seventy six. Okay, so here's the thing I want you to put in perspective, folks. There are utility players on contending teams right now. The Braves, the Dodgers, the White Sox, the Yankees that are making five and a half, six million dollars that aren't even playing every day. Okay. So when you when you put that in perspective and you're getting seven million dollars and a guy who has the potential to be an every year all-star, that's a that's a that's a logical risk to take. And we talked about this on the last show. 
You're not getting Brian Reynolds so you can prove the Brian Reynolds that you're in. This is one of those things that proves the Brian Reynolds. He should, he should look at them too. We want to win. We're, we're betting on our future. And we're willing to dish out that kind of money on our future because we hope this kid turns out to be good. And, and you know, if you think about it, he's only had 120 games going into the season. 123 now after the opening series. And over to 123, we're talking about a career 282 average and a 776 OPS, putting him about 10 points above what the average Major League Baseball player would give you in an OPS. So he, you're right. He hasn't done anything when you, when you take into account the rough injury-riddled 2021 season. His numbers don't support, let's say, the respect that he would get, the $10 million. I don't know if it supports the $10 million, but I, I'm telling you right now, 776 OPS over 120 Ball games or 123 ball games, I can find you a lot of guys making five six million six million dollars in Major League Baseball right now with an OPS under 700 because they're role players and and they're on big market teams that have big money. So I, in my mind, signing Hayes to that money not only is it an investment, but if he becomes just a serviceable player, you can deal him and a team will take that deal. Because in the next three, four years, if he just becomes an average ball player, if he's just a couple of wins above replacement, a team like the Yankees or the Dodgers or somebody like that might sit there and say, man, we can get a utility guy for $7 million? Well, right now, utility guys are costing eight. The market's going to change. So I, I'm not afraid of this deal. The Pirates are basically front-loading it in the first two years. Those are the two highest years that he's getting paid in, until the one where they can buy him out when he's old. So I, to me, I love the deal. It tells Brian Reynolds you're in. It tells other people that you're, you're, you're now making a move and you're investing in a player. And I don't think it's like an albatross. It's not like a, a, like a weight on a chain around the team's neck. You have plenty of room to do other things. And I think that his floor is still a serviceable everyday player. That's his floor. And I think just for a serviceable everyday player, you're going to pay $7 million a year. I think that's just going to be the going rate. Yeah, and I think we even talked about, Chris, on the last show, we talked about that it was going to be a team-friendly deal, and it is a team-friendly deal. And and we were fine with that, and, and we were fine with, you know, extending him. I mean, Brian Hayes was, like we said, it was a guy that you know, could line up to get to get Brian Reynolds and, and the other stuff that's coming out in the news with Bob Nutting not being happy about, you know, them having to take Brian Reynolds to arbitration, and they would like to try to avoid that. It takes, to, takes me to, like, that other step that maybe – you know, they are going to start doing something. So, like, when this came down, you know, on opening day, I, I kind of was, like, in shock. And and I was I was happy because, to me, this shows that at least for this moment that you – this is the point where, you know, Ben Sherrington, Bob Nutting, whoever it would be, whoever shot out the money, is putting their foot down and saying, okay, we're going to try to take that next step forward with this guy who we believe in who, yeah, hasn't been in the majors for that long. But like you said, Chris, I mean, like over the time, over those those at-bats, he's a 4.2 war player. Some of that was based on, you know, that crazy offensive production in uh, in 2020. But a lot of that is based off of the defense, which the defense is always going to be there. Defense is always going to play. And, and I see him, and I've always seen him as a – a league average to a little bit above league average bat. And if he is that, and if he's more then this is an absolute steal. And like you said, it's, it's not one of those ones. I mean, 
Polanco's deal didn't become a terrible deal until he completely ripped his shoulder up and then was a shell of himself. If that happens in any deal, it makes it a bad deal, but it doesn't make that a bad deal from the beginning, if that makes sense, Chris. It's not a bad deal when you sign it, and you can't predict like that type of a catastrophic injury. So that's like the risk that you're taking, but to me, it still doesn't make it a bad deal. Listen, if in his worst season here in 2021, don't even look at the 2020 numbers or video game numbers, but in 2021, hitting 257 with a, uh, 373 slugging, which is bad, and an OPS of 689. Look, that's that's a four, that's a three million dollar player, a four million dollar player. I get it. You're overpaying if that's what he's going to be. But raise that batting average 20 points, and and throw another 50 points on the OPS. And I think he's a seven million dollar player with that defense. I think that's yeah. what his going rate is going to be. And so what the Pirates are saying is that that was the worst we're ever going to see unless he gets injured again. And we believe that based upon what we know about him, and we think that he's going to be better. I think he's going to be better. I think you think he's going to be better. I think only really yeah. negative people don't think he's going to be better than that. So no, great investment, great signing. You know, you couldn't be happier with this deal, okay? Because it's at a good value, and it and it tells your superstar Brian Reynolds we're serious, and it tells the fan base we're serious too. Because this is a perpetual rebuild with no end in sight. Until you start seeing deals like this, and, it's, and until you start seeing Contreras get recalled to come up and pitch, and until you see O'Neill Cruz get here in a, well, in a couple of weeks. Well, Contreras was already up, and he pitched out of the bullpen, which everybody was complaining about, but I don't know what everybody was really complaining about because, number one, it was Mitch Keller's start day. It was Rowanzi Contreras' start day, supposedly, in Indianapolis. So they're both going to pitch, and, and we end up losing, and Contreras didn't look that great, but it, it is what it is. But that's another thing about Charrington is, is the roster construction is that you, you basically made it so Contreras had to be called up. Yes, I was happy to see him, but you also picked up Josh Van Meter and, and, and Andrew Knapp, who you had to pick up a backup catcher because you didn't have one you know, on the roster. But then you have to get rid of pitching. Then you have to bring Contreras up. Happy to see the kid. Looked good at times. Looked a little bit you know slouchy at times. But I think he's going to be fine, too. Listen, Major League Baseball is riddled with big-time pitchers that spent their first year or so in the bullpen because they they were good enough that they it was it was stupid for them to be in AAA. But they still needed to log a few innings and work some things out, so they did it out of the bullpen in the majors. Yeah, I used Michael Kopech as an example in a tweet that day. That day when somebody was complaining about it, I'm like, you know, I think Gary, Gary brought up, uh, I forget who Gary had brought up, and then I brought up. I was like, Michael Kopech seems to be doing okay with it. Chris Sale, I mean, now with Boston, I mean, with all the injuries, he's not even playing right now, but he was the same way. I mean, off the top of my head, I, I, that was the first guy. That's the guy who always pops in my head because, like, people thought he was just going to stay a reliever, you know? And, and, and he became a converted starter, and what did he do? He just goes to the oh. All-Star game all the time? David Price, David Price. David Price, Price. there's one. Yeah. There's one. That's, there's another guy. Get, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of guys like that. So, no, I, I think that... You know, being upset that he's in the bullpen, please. This is all development. We're still developing. This is still the the precursor to before you start making your run, right? Like you, you're in Star Wars and you're in the X-Wing fighter 
and you're watching the other X-Wings get blown up by Darth Vader, and the one guy right before, like, you know, he gets uh, killed, he's like, get ready to make your run, and then he explodes. That's where you're at right now. You're not ready to make your run yet, right? You're not in the battle yet. You'll get there eventually. You like that one, huh? Yeah, I, I, I that one cracked me up, because I just basically pictured, like, the pirates, like, a, a pirates-type, you know, ship, like, fighting through there, and... and right. It's it's like the it's like the bit character who doesn't even get credited like at the end. That was like that was me, and you're like, well, where's your name on the thing? Right. Well, I, I, they forgot to put it in there, so yeah. we're like, that's what we are right now. You still have way too many guys in this lineup that are just the guys in the background that get blown up at the beginning of the battle. Right? They're not making it to the end. They're just you know accidentally flying into another X-wing, or they're they're slamming in the side of a wall, or their their targeting mechanism isn't working. They're the guys in the background you hear screaming while Luke Skywalker is getting ready to get into the battle. That's kind of how it is right now. You're not in the battle yet. Pirates fans that are thinking they're in the battle right now, you're early. Not time right now. If you really think this team is making a run with Cole Tucker and right field, and we need to sit down and talk about the basic mechanics of baseball, and I need to get you an MLB package so you can watch other teams and see what they look like compared to yours, all right? This is a build, and the, like I said, the good news is that Cabrian Hayes is now a permanent part of your build, and you have to do that sometimes, and there is no way you're signing Brian Reynolds to an extension as the first guy to lock in long-term on this team. He is too good. He is not doing that until he's sure there is some reason for him to stay. Money means something, and also not being mired in mediocrity at the bottom of baseball his entire career. That will also mean something to him. That would mean something to pretty much anybody worth their salt who's a competitor who plays sports. This was good for the team and good for the long term and good for your it, it increased like a little bit on the on the on the can we resign Brian Reynolds meter. Uh, you went up a little bit on that. And that's a good thing. Yeah, and you gotta like you gotta lock up that Michael Chavis guy too because uh, <laughs> he hits he hits grand slams all over the place. Oh, you ripped out and he hit a grand slam in the opening weekend. I, I, I dude, I laughed. I I'm love just it. Like man, I didn't even think he was gonna make the team, and he hit the grand slam, and I was like, you know what? Good for him. I Good hope he him. hit that. And he, I hope he hit that, and under his breath as he watched it go out, he was like, choke on that, Bucks in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say.